We're so glad you're here. I'm continuing in the series called All the Nations, and this series has been about the Great Commission that Jesus called us to. And I'll talk more about that a little bit at the end. But my topic this morning is, why do I need Christ? (laughs) That's pretty obvious for some of us, I think. It is for me anyway. But my first point this morning is because we're broken. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. And all of us are broken. And I think to to understand that, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 3 where sin entered into all of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, we read where Adam and Eve stepped outside the boundaries that God set. If you guys were at the sunrise service this morning, this is kind of a recap. This is part two, so some of this you heard this morning. But God sets boundaries for us, and he says everything within these boundaries are good. And when you step outside of those boundaries, it's not good. It's not good for your relationship with me. It's not good for you. We find that God told Adam that the Garden of Eden was his, all of it. It was all his. And he said, all the trees, all the fruit, everything is available to you except this one tree. Don't eat from the the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that they did, and they disobeyed. But Adam and Eve had everything that they needed at their disposal. All they had to do was tend and watch over the garden. I think that's a pretty easy gig. I think even I could do that. And it would be like being on permanent vacation. I mean, they just had to be in the garden. But the consequences of their disobedience was huge. They had to leave the garden. They had to work. In Genesis 3.17, it says, And even the ground was now cursed due to Adam's disobedience. Thorns and thistles will grow for you. And I wonder now when we look in our yards when we have weeds, if we don't have Adam to thank for that. I don't know. But, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there were consequences for the disobedience. One of the consequences is increased pain in childbirth. So the Bible says. But probably the worst thing is that sin entered into all of humanity. Sin became part of our DNA, as it were. And sin is, again, a stepping outside of the boundaries that God has set for us. And that Greek word for sin is hemartia, and it means to miss the mark like an archer shooting at a target. And you not only miss the bullseye, but you miss the whole target. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. It's stepping outside of the boundaries that God has set. And the consequences of disobedience can be deadly or dangerous to us and others. This morning at the sunrise service, I I talked about a little bit about the consequences for disobeying the law. One of the, the laws that we have is that it's against the law to drive when you're intoxicated. Why? For the safety of ourselves and other people, right? And we hear all the time about people driving down the freeway the wrong way and having a head-on collision and killing people, killing themselves. And so God has set boundaries for us, and he says, stay within these boundaries. Another term for sin is iniquity, and the Greek word is anomia, and it means lawless violation or transgression of the law, iniquity, or unrighteousness. So we are born... Let me say it this way. We're born with iniquity inside of us. My first point is we are broken, so we come broken, all right? My second point this morning is, are we able to fix this? Our iniquity is the result of the original fall or disobedience or sin, however you want to define that, that was initiated when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where it began, That sin entered into all of humanity. 
Another way to look at iniquity is to say that we have a propensity or a bent towards something. You know, you may say, well, uh, I have a propensity for addictive behaviors or alcoholism. My dad was an alcoholic. My granddad was an alcoholic. My great-granddad was an alcoholic or whatever. So iniquity can be viewed as a propensity or a bent towards something. Uh, Think about a bruise. You may not know that it happened, but it's obvious that there's damage to the skin tissue when you see the, the blue or purple or whatever, right? And you may be thinking, how did that happen? I don't, I don't even remember running into anything. But it's evident that there's a bruise there. And most people don't realize that they're spiritually bruised. They don't realize that they need a Savior because we're, we're flawed inside because sin is part of our DNA. And consider that A baby is addicted to crack because the mother was using. All right? Is it the baby's fault? No. The baby was born with an addiction to crack because it was an internal addiction in which they did not choose. It was chosen for them. That choice was made by their mother. Now, we can pray that God will heal that child. We can pray that that child will not be addicted to crack. But how many of you have the the power and authority to do something about it. None of us do. Only God can do that. Only God can fix our broken lives and restore the things in us that are broken. None of us have the power to fix or heal a child. Only God can. In fact, let me say this. We don't have the power to fix ourselves. If we did, I think we probably would. It's only through Christ that this brokenness in our lives can be healed. We are born with this flaw of iniquity or sin. Let me ask you this. Is it our fault that we have this internal flaw? No. Because it came into humanity when Adam and Eve sinned. Can you change that internal flaw? I don't think you can. I think through Jesus we can be changed. But listen, if we could fix ourselves, wouldn't we? I think we would. Now, you may be able to mask over it for a while, but eventually those things rise up within us. Have you ever struggled with something in your life and you think, man, why do I continue to struggle with this? It could be that it's an iniquity in your life, something that needs to be fixed in your life. Let me say this about sin and iniquity. Sin is a willful choice that we make. Imagine that you're at the store and you're walking along and somebody's, you know, a few feet in front of you and you, and you see a $50 bill fall out of their pocket. And you look around and there is nobody around. Nobody except that person that dropped the $50 bill. Okay, at that point, you can pick that up. You can say, wow, you know, finders keepers, losers, weepers. Uh, you, and you could put that in your pocket. But you know that that's wrong. Sin is to willfully choose to do something that is wrong, to disobey. And so if you stick that money in your pocket and turn down another aisle and you're gone, that's sin because you've done something that's not right. So iniquity is something that we may have a propensity for. Man, I I just have this desire to to be addicted to drugs or or whatever it may be, okay? For all of us, it could be a different thing. But sin is when we choose, when we make that choice to disobey. It's only through Christ that that internal flaw can be fixed. I mean, how many of you tried to fix those things in your own life? Has anybody been successful (laughs) without Christ? 
Let's go to Romans 3, 20 through 24. And it says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. When you're driving down the freeway and you see the speed limit sign, that shows you what the boundaries are. And it says, and for some of us, that means we better back off a little bit, right? The Ten Commandments were impossible for the children of Israel to keep. The Ten Commandments are impossible for us to keep. The first commandment, God said, have no other gods but me. Have you ever elevated anything above God? Oh, what about maybe materialism? Even your spouse, a child, a grandchild, a boat? Lee, I'm not picking on you. I know you have a boat. Uh, Your golf game? Here's one, yourself. Have you ever elevated yourself above God? He said, have no other gods but me. You must not steal. Mm, Gosh, have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever gossiped? Romans 3.21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And if you go to Romans chapter 4, it says, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as right, being in right standing. Abraham lived before Moses and the Ten Commandments. So God was looking at his life, and he saw a man of faith. And if you know anything about Abraham, if you've read the story about his life, did he ever blow it? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, all of us do. Those of us that have faith. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all the heroes of the faith. And you know what you find? That all of those people were flawed. They all made mistakes. But I think what you also find is there's a people there that love God. There are people there that have faith. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. None of us are perfect. It's not about our performance. It's simply about a relationship. And that's so refreshing and liberating for me because we live in such a performance-based society. It says when you perform, then you get rewarded. If you don't perform, then you don't get rewarded. But in, in God's kingdom, it's, it's not about that. It's about his grace and his love. Let's read Romans 3, 21 again. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. God's greatest desire is to have a relationship with us, a close, intimate, real relationship with each and every one of us. That's why he created us. It began in the garden as he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so how do we get right with God now? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Wait a minute. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. That by placing our faith in Christ, we're made right with God. Well, okay, that, that can't be the prostitute. Well, wait a minute. It says, and this is true for everyone who believes. So I guess that covers the prostitute. Well, what about that drunk? They're always drinking. They're always drunk. It says everyone who believes. 
What about that guy that's so rich and arrogant and proud and prideful? That includes him. Okay, I know one that it doesn't include, the child molester. You know, there's just no way that God can forgive them and love them. Well, wait a minute. They fall under everyone. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, because it's not based on our performance. It's not based on our religiosity of jumping through all these religious hoops and doing all this stuff. It's based on one thing, God's love and grace for us. That's good news, guys. Aren't you glad that you don't have to perform? Oh, but I'm, I'm really a good person. Just compare me with this person and that person and this person and that person. Compare them with me, and you'll see that I'm a really good person. And I'm not a gossip, but if I were, I would tell you that she was stealing money and he was having an affair, but I won't gossip. <laughs> but compare me with them. Listen, we are not the standard. Sin is part of our DNA. It's within us. Romans 3, 24, yet God with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God has given us undeserved kindness and grace and declares that we are made right with him when he freed us from our sin. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. I want to read what the prophet Isaiah wrote about 800 years before Jesus was even born in Isaiah 53, 5. He was, and you can go back and read Isaiah. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And I'm not going to read all that this morning. I'm just going to touch on a couple of verses here. But it says, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed or bruised for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. Does anybody have any lack in your life? Any of us today? He paid all of that on the cross so that we would be whole. It goes on to say he was whipped so we could be healed. Does anybody need healing? Maybe physical, emotional, mental, any area of your life? Christ came to die on the cross for us so that we would be made whole. What about his resurrection? I'll get to that in a minute. His resurrection indicates that he not only conquered sin, but death as well. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, And remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. I think that could be that iniquity. As we say, ah, oh, you know, I really, I really want to do this. I know this is wrong, but I, I really just have this drive. It goes on to say in verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So you see that it's a progressive thing. That as we begin to step outside of the boundaries we get further and further out, and the next thing we know, we're way over here. How does that happen? How does it happen that a man gets caught in a hotel room with his secretary or some other woman? Well, it's, it probably started way back then when they begin to flirt at work, maybe, where somebody crossed the line, or probably both of them crossed the line. Maybe she was getting some emotional connection with this man or whatever, and so she began to pour out her emotions on him. Listen, if she would have been talking to her husband and spending time with her husband, she probably wouldn't have been pouring out her emotions on this, this other guy or whatever it may be. So anyway, the point is, is that sin begins here when we cross the line. 
And as we begin to step out further and further and further, we find ourselves further from God. But here's the great news. God is a master. He loves to take our broken lives and restore us back into health. Sin is progressive. It leads to death. That's why Jesus talked about it. That's why it's a biblical principle that we obey because it's for our good. That's why it's not lawful to drive intoxicated. It's for our, our own good. And how many of, don't answer, but how many of you said, oh, I know, I know it's wrong. Okay, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but this is the last time I'm going to do it one more time. How many times have you said, this is the last time? And it may be because there's that DNA of, of iniquity in our lives that God hasn't dealt with. It could be that we're just choosing to disobey. That's probably what it really is. But listen, we all struggle with something. But Christ came to set us free. Listen, if, if you've been struggling with something for a year, 10 years, 20, 30 years, that's a problem. You need to get that area fixed and healed in your life. And this is not a self-help program. This is, Jesus, I need your help because I can't fix myself. I can't fix this situation. In Romans 5, 17, it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater, even greater than the sin of this one man, Adam, is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. It's greater than the sin. I have a friend, he wrote a song, and he said, Your mercy your mercy, God, is greater than my sin. It goes on to say, For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. All who receive God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have victory. Not only over sin, but also over death because he rose on the third day. And, you know, maybe Muhammad and Buddha were nice, loving, moral people. I don't know. But they're still in the grave. They didn't conquer the grave. They didn't even conquer sin. There's only one man that has done that. And so after Jesus died and was resurrected, these were his instructions. And this is the core of this series, the core scripture. It's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. So he has the authority to fix our broken lives because he has all authority. He goes on to say in verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as we yield our life to God, God does amazing things in our life. And he brings health and healing and wholeness to us. And then we go, and make disciples. We go and share the love of Christ with others. And that's what Jesus told us to do. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you stranded. Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on a cross, and he went back. How many times have we gone around the circle? You know, and said, well, I've started here, and I go around the circle, and I end up back here. And it's like, why did I do that? Why would Jesus leave heaven and come to earth and die on a cross and then go back? It was for one reason, for you and me, for us. That is the only reason that he would do that. So my third point is he is with us. 
After Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples and told them, this is in Luke 24, 44 through 49. Then he, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Listen, this is not just a man. This is God in the flesh talking to them. I think we forget that sometimes. And so he helped them to understand. Somehow he opened their mind to understand. Have you ever misunderstood something or not understood something? And then suddenly you get it and you're like, ah, maybe an algebra or or something like that where you're struggling. And then finally you get it. You're like, ah, I finally get it. And so he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And you are witnesses of these things. I think Jesus was saying, you're witnessing all of these things. I think that that they began to understand um, the forgiveness of sins. Remember when Peter denied Christ? And then after that, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And three times he asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, he didn't reject Peter, but he embraced him and he brought him in. He said, do you love me, Peter? Peter said, you know I love you. The interesting thing about that is that uh, Jesus uses a different word for love. The first two times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word, the Greek word agapeo, which means do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me with a deep, intimate love? And Peter responds, he said, well, I love you with phileo love. That means I love you like a brother. He's he's saying, "I, I I can't say that I love you in that same way. See, something happened to Peter. I think he realized God, Jesus told him, he said, you're going to deny, deny me three times before the rooster crows. He said, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll die for you, Jesus. And when Jesus was being tried, and Peter denied him three times. But Jesus comes back and says, Peter, do you love me with the unconditional love? And Peter says, well, I love you like a brother, Jesus. You know, he was being honest. And then and Jesus asked him again. He said, Peter, do you love me with an unconditional love? And Peter's like, well, I love you like a brother. But the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me like a brother? If you can't say honestly that you love me on this level, can you, can you say this on this level? And Peter was saying, like, Lord, you know everything. I love you like a brother. I think what Peter was saying, God, I want to love you on that level, but I don't. And I know that you know my heart, and I cannot lie to you. Would we be that honest with God? Would we be that honest? He says, you are witnesses of all these things. Think of all the things that the disciples saw Jesus do. Raise people from the dead, heal people. Have personal encounter with Jesus where they understand the depth of love and forgiveness. And Luke 24, 49, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And it's good that I go because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And then Jesus ascended to heaven. 
And this was after he'd been crucified, after he died, after he'd been raised on the third day. And he lives today. Jesus conquered sin and death. And it's through him that we have abundant life. It's simply a choice that, that we make to receive. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, man, I, I just, I don't have a relationship with, with the Lord. I, or maybe you did at one point in time and you say, I, you know, I walked away from God. And God may be stirring in your heart this morning. He may be tugging on you. Listen, if he is, would you just respond to him? I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to call you up. I just want you to raise your hand and I'll pray with you where you are. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Listen, there's no shame in that. The shame would be to walk out of this building and not receive all that God has for you. Listen, he came to die for all of our sins, all of our sins. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these that have raised their hand. And uh, Father, I pray that you would just pour into them, God, that they would experience your peace right now. Those of you that are responding, if you would just pray this prayer, you can pray it quietly. You can pray it out loud. The important thing is that you pray it sincerely from your heart. You'll just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I come in my brokenness. I come in my woundedness. I come in my guilt, my shame, whatever that may be. And I yield all of that to you. And I receive your forgiveness today for everything I've done from the past, the present, the future. I receive forgiveness for everything I've ever done. And I take all of that baggage and all of that stuff and I take it to the cross and I leave it there. And I thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. I thank you for saving me. And I pray, Father, that you would help me to forgive myself if there's unforgiveness there, that you would, would cause me to choose to forgive those who have hurt me, if that's the case, and that you will come and reside in me as you promise to send the Holy Spirit that I will receive everything that you have for me and that I will celebrate the newness of life today because your word says that I'm a new creation. All the old stuff is gone and I'm made new. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Father, I want to pray for these that have responded additionally. I want to pray that you would fill them with the fire, the power of your Holy Spirit that they would encounter you in a fresh new way, that they would uh, hear your small, still voice speaking to their hearts, that you would increase their sensitivity to hearing you, and that you would do amazing things in their lives. God, I pray for all of us that you would do amazing things in, in our life, and God, you've done amazing things. We may not recognize it, or we may, may not realize it, but we're all flawed. And we all need help. We all need to be fixed. We all need a Savior. We don't need a favor. We need a Savior, God. And I thank you that you specialize in taking our wounded, broken lives and restoring us.
to health and wholeness. And I know that you're working in every life here. I know that you're working in, in my life tremendously. And I thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to yield ourselves to you. And then you do the work. You change us from the inside out. You touch our heart and change us. And the impact of that is, is our exterior begins to change. And Father, I thank you for everyone that's come today. And I thank you for this wonderful day where we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Not only did you conquer sin on the cross, but you conquered death as well. So we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks. And I pray that as we go out this week, we will be encouraged knowing that you can fix our lives, that we don't have to try to struggle to fix everything. We just yield our life to you. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. The prayer team will be up here. If you guys want prayer, listen, there's no need to have to navigate through things on your own. And I want to thank you for joining us this morning. You are dismissed. Feel free to hang around in fellowship for a while if you like. Thank you. God bless you.